0: From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 85. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace and Braintree. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen Hackett. Hello, Michael Hurley. And hello, Federico Vaticci. Hello, Federico Vaticci.
1: Hello, guys. Hello, Mike Hurley. <laughs> hello.
0: Uh, I'm back again. Tag team back again.
1: You survived. So that's good news.
0: Yep. Yep. I always survive.
1: Uh, Was it just a week the other ago day- you were
0: gone? Yeah, it was just last week. Yeah, it was last week.
1: So the Jeez. other day, Mike on the on the Italian news, they were talking about uh the Queen of England turning ninety. Like this week, I think. Yeah, something like that. You guys having a big celebration over there?
0: There is a thing happening, I believe. hmm Um, but I'm not currently involved in it.
1: Hmm. So because I thought that the 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 birthday uh of the Queen was like the birthday of everyone in England, like everyone is celebrating, having cake. But I guess it's not what I imagined.
0: There are like, I think there's this like campaign to clean up London for the Queen's birthday. Like, oh, that's nice. Rubbish wise, yeah, which is you know, it's it's quite nice, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. But you're not you're not cleaning up London. <laughs>
0: I' sounding right now like I don't appreciate the royal family. Where I'm actually a supporter of the royal family. I think that it's nice that we have them. Um, I'm just not personally prepared. For the Queen's birthday, to clean up London.
1: To clean you, up you, London. You're not prepared to clean up London. That's okay. That's okay, Mike.
0: Yeah, it's it's not it's not it's not on my list. But we do have some follow up that is on my list. I did notice the follow up sound last week. It made me smile. I'm glad. I'm glad you did. I didn't get many comments about that. So, um,
2: my thought is some people didn't know what it was and were just confused. We've lost
0: all of the prompt listeners. They've all gone fuck, away now.
2: They've all gone. Uh, yeah. So. Last week, Federico and I discussed the couple issues with iOS 9.3, and as predicted, 9.3.1 came out a couple of days later. Um, it's been out. I feel like it's soft things. I, it seems like all that chatter's kind of settled down, uh, which is good, I guess. Yeah, it's all
1: gone. Um,
0: so if you haven't updated, go update. It's that's all, that's all better. Or maybe it's just because those people can't access Twitter because their iOS devices are So It's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one way to deal with it. Yeah, there's an update, but my phone is basically a potato
2: now, so too bad. Uh, In the category of Year of Teachy, listener Jimmy wrote in and said, In the spirit of hashtag Year of Teachy, I just bought an Echo. And uh, he goes on to talk about Spotify and Apple Music. And a comment that we haven't really touched on in this conversation that Apple Prime Music is basically like inscrutable. So with the Echo. You know, Amazon has a music streaming service, and so you can just tell the Echo, "Hey, go play," you know, uh, the Killers, and it will it will play something. But the problem is, it's a very small library, and so I've got a couple bands I really like that they have like one or two random albums. It's not a very complete listing, Um, and in fact, it became such a problem in my household that we are now paying for Spotify because of the Echo. And so you say, "Hey, you know, hey Echo, play." You know, this album by this band on Spotify and um, it's great it works really well and uh, it's really the first time I've ever paid for a music streaming service and Echo has forced my hand there but it's nice and it's nice to have sort of all that uh, available to you just uh, with the sound of your voice but of course if you're paying for Apple Music um, you know that's not there and I think the Sonos is probably a better choice if you're in the Apple Music system only but um. Federico, I know you're using Spotify. I think we're going to get to that. But um, yeah. it's, um, it's just interesting that like this a hardware device finally forced my hand to join the streaming music revolution.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. the, the Spotify integration on the Echo is just, it's, it's very good, you know, because you can just, uh, for example, I'm just walking around the kitchen and I think of a song and I can just ask the Echo. And it's the kind of, you know, convenience and, you know, the kind of natural interface that I... I wasn't expecting it to to make this much sense to me, but I guess it just does. And I know that people are going to say, well, you can just do the same with uh, Siri on the iPhone. But the thing is, you know, I'm not walking around my house constantly looking at my at my phone. And there's a certain freedom, I guess, in being able to just walk up to the icon to the and just say, play this song, and it plays. It's nice. And uh, I guess it's sort of, uh, it's another argument in favor of this kind of uh, voice interface that constantly listens to you i know that a lot of people don't like it uh but we're you know we're using the echo we like it i keep seeing a lot of people on twitter buying the echo uh these days so you know we'll see we'll see what apple does in the future uh i would be surprised if they're not considering or you know making something like this but you know we don't know so we'll see
2: uh yeah it's um i mean like we keep coming back to this whole thing is just in so much flux right now. But it's fascinating to look at. And we're going to get into a little bit more of the home automation stuff today, I think. But um, the whole just the whole gamut of devices is really up in the air. We spoke, I think last week, about this um, iMac project that I have embarked on. And <laughs> Project
1: is a nice way to call it. Yeah. yeah.
2: You guys are so mean to me. Like an obsession, but... I have a, a blog post <laughs> up on 5.12, Um outlining the 13 uh, flavors of iMac and the ones that I have. I have uh, four of them in my trunk right now, waiting to be unloaded once I get off the podcast. Um, I'm going from storing them at my house where my wife was getting upset to storing them at my office where my brother will get upset. So what can you do? Not buy 13 iMacs? Well, so this is the thing. This is the, the stroke <laughs> of brilliance that I've had. Is I should crowdsource it. And um, so I have uh, posted this thing on 5.12. I'm going to keep this updated. And as you can see, the progress. And I have gotten like, it's up to like 40 emails now of people who have various IMAX offering them uh, up to, to for sacrifice to the project. It's not sacrifice. They'll be treated very well. A wrong for word.
1: research. You, you want to call research. it research, not sacrifice. Research.
2: And so I've got, I mean, there are readers with like iMac's just all over the place. Who are I'm, I'm talking with and getting them uh, shipped to Memphis? So mm-hmm. that's super humbling. Like I, I put this up and I thought maybe one or two people would get in touch. And like Saturday, I worked outside all day in the yard, and I I kind of picked up my phone in the afternoon, and it's like my email had just blown up with people saying, "I've got this one," "I have that one." You know, I think my aunt has my old you know iMac in her attic. I'll check next time I'm there. Like it's really exciting. Um, so that links in the show notes, and uh, it's getting close. Like I have. Uh, actually one showing up today, flower power shows up today, which I'm, wow. uh, see that that, I can't, that's that sarcasm, Mike, it hurts me. That
0: wasn't sarcasm. <laughs> it
1: hurts me on the inside.
0: The flower power one I thought would be rarer. So I'm, you know, surprised that it's come through so easily for you.
1: So what happens, Steven, when you collect all, uh, when you complete uh, these, uh, Pokedex of, uh, of IMAX? Catch more, man. <laughs> what happens
2: uh, so it's going to be, it's going to be a couple things. Um, there's, I'm going to do a big video. Like I've been, look, this email right now. Um, I'm going to be doing a a video like I've been doing on the YouTube channel. Um, I have very grand plans for this video. In fact, I have, I have purchased some equipment to help me with this video. Um, I'm also going to need many hired hands to help just move them around because they're all very heavy. Uh, but I've got some other ideas too I've got some other things that I want to do with this uh ultimately I have an idea of how to display them but um it's just it's just like a, a project that really started as just a wild hair is like all of a sudden taking its own life and is just uh just really like run away uh with people getting involved but yeah flypower is fun um it actually came from reddit someone on the uh vintage apple reddit is is mailing me that one what's what has been interesting and then I'll well, interesting to me, then I'll, we can move on because I know you guys are falling asleep, but... No, no. Uh, I, it, in the email responses, you know, it's been really, like, interesting to see which ones people have. Like, a lot of people have the original one. Much, I mean, this is a very limited sample size, right? But, like, people hold, held on to the original iMac because a lot of people, um, it was, like, their first Mac or it was their Mac their parents bought when they were in school. Like I have several people email me, like, this was the computer I grew up on and we've just always kept it. And, um... Uh one guy emailed me and he was like, I don't want it to go to a dump, like I'd rather it go to um you like be part of a project. So it's um it's been fun. The uh but Graphite and Snow seem by far to be the most popular. Like I don't know how many emails I've gotten about those two models in particular. And then a couple others like, like Ruby no one seems to have, and so that one may be much harder to track down than I thought it was. But I was um, gonna
0: ask you if there's one that is harder than others, and I guess you are finding that out <laughs> just Via yeah. this project,
2: I mean, I think so. Like the, all the fruit flavors, you know, they did five at a time and they did two generations of those, and those are harder because they're just more of them, right? So, if they if they sold a million five flavors, then that's divided up across five colors, where other generations just had one or two colors. But, um, I think almost everything except Ruby, I currently have at least have a lead on somewhere in my inbox, so um. So yeah, that's that's uh, just coming right along, and uh, I cleared off some storage space here at the office, and I'm going to be moving them inside as soon as we get done.
0: If it gets really difficult, you could just paint one.
1: I think just that's pre- cheating. Pretend. <laughs> just pretend. Mike's solution is the well, Because what do you do
0: just... if you have 12 of them, and, it, and a year goes by, and you haven't got the 13th?
1: You keep searching, Mike.
0: That, that just feels like a horrible thing. Ultimately, something has to pop up on eBay, right? So... So we'll see. Well, the TAM did, so... It's true.
2: TAM did. Anyways, uh, moving on from uh, iMac Corner, still talking about the Mac. Mike, people have sent us a couple more emails about your comment about the Mac Mini server that you mm-hmm. have, have sort of spoken about doing. Have you thought any more about
0: that? As pe- people are like, interested in this. They want to know what you're doing. Yeah, I want to set it up. I haven't set it up. I'm collecting links from people of like, things that I should be checking out, like apps and stuff. But... Mm-hmm. I've had a really crazy travel schedule, as listeners of this show will know, and I'm about to go away again for RelayCon Atlanta next week. So see you. Exactly. So I haven't really had the time to properly sit and do this. Like, I want to do it over a weekend, but I haven't had a free weekend. Um, So that is still coming. And when I do go through setting up the Mac mini server, um, I'll dedicate some time on this show to talking about my experiences and the things that I'm doing. Uh, to, to try and make that work for me. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the fun
2: part about it, right? Like, you can do as little or as much with something like this as you want. Mm-hmm. It's lots of good options. Um, The iPhone SE is out, as we spoke about. Uh, We've ordered one. It showed up yesterday in my household. I moved my wife's stuff from her 6S to the SE last night, and I handed it to her after I'd moved everything over, and she was just instantly in love with it. So, uh, she, you know, down to the point where, like, using the same case and like very quickly kind of slipped back into her use case she had before the bigger phone. So in my sample size of one iPhone S E, uh, it's a hundred percent customer satisfaction rate. So
0: Wow, Tim will be so happy. It's 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 off the charts at my house, Mike. Oh off really? The charts. There, yes. there are not even um, any charts anymore. Yeah. It, it's right as as far
2: as far as the phone itself, I mean it, it is an iPhone 5 or you know 5s like it, it is that phone if you did not know the details you would be hard pressed to to notice the differences it is incredibly fast um, you know it's the same system on chip that are on the bigger phones but with less screen and of course anytime you set up a phone from scratch you know there's always that sort of new feeling to it but in my time with it last night uh, it was pretty impressive um, and uh, the camera is is really great i, I will say that the thing that still gets me with the size is not only the keyboard, which I basically like destroyed my Apple ID password trying to type it in over and over, but the when you go take a picture, the viewfinder is just so much smaller, right? Because the screen is so much smaller. I really found it where that, like those two examples, where the the screen size really similar to me that I can't go back. That we trying to take a picture and it is like you're looking through a postage stamp. But um, but she loves it and it's uh it's a it's a nice phone. I think if you're on the fence, it's definitely worth checking out.
0: Yeah, we still haven't come to a decision yet. Um, in regards to what Adina's gonna do.
1: It was interesting, uh I was talking to Sylvia about this because she's been looking for uh forward to the to the smaller iPhone. Uh and she told me um basically she wants to use a smaller iPhone, but she doesn't want to move to the iPhone SE, if only because the iPhone seven is coming in September and she sort of caught the bug from me to always use the latest iPhone. You know just because we 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 now have the habit of uh, buying a new phone then we sell the phone and we buy the new one just because we want to use the latest iPhone. So she 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 asked me, do you believe there's going to be an iPhone 7 SE in September? And I told her, well, the word on on Twitter uh, is that, you know, this is a special edition it's not going to receive the same update cycle as the uh the 6s and the 6s plus and she doesn't want to use the SE yes if that's going to be you know outdated by by September so that's interesting uh i guess maybe apple doesn't want to cater to you know people who want to buy the, the latest iphone but also have it be a small iphone uh, I imagine, you know, there being like a Venn diagram of people who want the latest iPhone, people who want the smaller iPhone, and Apple doesn't believe there's an intersection between those two kinds of people. So she's gonna she's gonna get an iPhone 7, you know, in the 4.7 inch size. Uh, she ultimately decided not to get the DSC just because it's not going to receive, or most likely it's not going to receive an update in September. Right. Yeah, I,
0: uh, I don't know if this product will become like a regular thing. But I think it's safe to say that there won't be one in September because they've just put this product out now in March, right? Like there may be one. I think there might be one next year, maybe. But I would be very surprised if there was a four-inch phone, a new one debuted in six months' time. That seems seems kind of crazy to me that they would do that. I, I don't expect it, really. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. So we'll see. You like on the Mac Stephen you have a follow up Yeah so I came across this uh
2: blog post by Brent Simmons who's of course a longtime Mac developer and uh we'll have the link in the show notes and I'm I'm not going to try to summarize the technical aspects of this because it's just at the edge of what I can fully grasp honestly huh. but um it, he closes the article with a theory why there aren't more Mac apps and it's definitely worth the read and uh basically part of his argument is that bringing UIKit to the Mac may be sort of a false argument that developers may look and say, well, I would come to the Mac if UIKit was there. But um, in reality, I'll, there's a lot more needed to make a good Mac app that just moving to UIKit doesn't... As complicated as that is, and he brings up some good points about that, is that it doesn't really solve the problem like what makes a Mac app good. And that a lot of work that you don't have to do on iOS, you do have to do on the Mac because the Mac is more complicated, right? You have menus, you have live resizing, you have Apple script, and all that places a burden on developers that UIKit won't solve. And I just, I found it interesting, you know, the the idea that there's this conversation that the Mac is is stable and it is a, a platform where most of the change is behind it, right? That that OS X or Mac OS, if it's renamed, um, that that platform is very much a known quantity. And that, to a degree, makes it uh, a little bit boring and that iOS is still, you know, however long, uh, eight years since the the iOS App Store now, that it's still the Wild West and there's still excitement there and that the platform is still rapidly changing, right? Like if you even just look at the last three years between iOS 7, 8, 9, uh, how many changes we've seen and that those two things couple together that the Mac is is more complicated to develop for in some ways that ios developers may not be familiar with and that uh ios feels like a more vibrant platform that those two things are kind of working together against this idea that oh just put ui kit on the mac and developers will like come like you know raining down on it and um so i thought it was an interesting like continuation of the conversation we've been having on the show and uh you know, I don't know if uh, UIKit or, or you know that UX kit project is ever going to see the light of day. But if it does, I think it'd be foolish to think that it's like a a magic bullet to fixing um, the Mac app problem.
0: I think that maybe the, the way to solve this is kind of the redefinition of what makes a good Mac app, as well as as looking at other things like how many people use AppleScript.
2: Yeah, and 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 there is that underlying thing, right? That, that uh, the sort of applications that Brent Simmons has worked on are sort of for power users, sort of like old school Mac users. Yeah. And there's a lot of apps on my system that you know are from the Mac App Store age that don't support some of that stuff. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can go without it, but you can't go without menus, or you can't go without live resizing, right? Like, you open a Mac app and the window doesn't resize, people are gonna freak out. So yeah,
0: yeah, there there um, are things there, but I think I think it's a bit of a give and take on that one, honestly. I think sure. there's it's more work, but also there has to be less maybe assumed uh, as to what a Mac app should be. Because seriously, I would love to know um, how many people, you know, percentage wise, use AppleScript, even yeah, in I, an app yeah. like Pages, for example. Oh yeah, where everybody was screaming about it. Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, you. I think you're. I think you're right. There's um. That's got to be a low, a low number, but... Um.
0: It reminds me of that thing from the, the talk show episode with Federico and Q. Uh, it's one of my favorite little quotes, is that everyone was really upset about you couldn't use Bluetooth keyboards on the Apple TV, but mm-hmm. their statistics showed that during WWDC, nobody used them. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, so it's like you can, this, you know, if they say, like, we do these things for this audience, but it's worth remembering that sometimes the, that kind of hardcore audience are the only people that use a feature sure yeah the
1: the interesting argument there is that um, the people who uh, the people who make the news in in a in a, in a sense about apple are also, you know, the geeky people who use their devices a lot. So, of course, you know, bloggers and tech reporters, they use Apple devices more and maybe in a different way than the average customer. And because they have the power to, you know, spread the news, uh, they can point out these aspects that people wouldn't know about. But after these people write about them, they do know about them. They do know about those problems. So it's sort of a Kind of chicken and egg problem. Do we want to build this feature for everyone or do we want to build them for, you know, geeky uh, Apple users? Uh, but if we don't, then those people are going to write about them and then everyone will know uh, what, we, what we've done. So it's interesting, right, that uh, uh, you're sort of stuck in the middle. Uh, you know you're going to upset some people but also I totally understand why Apple sees the data and says, okay, well, you know, during WWDC, uh, the developers are the only kind of users who use Bluetooth keyboards, so it's maybe not a priority. It's uh, uh, it's an interesting position. Yep,
0: it really is. All right, shall we take our first break? Yeah. So, yeah, let's do it. This week's episode is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy mobile payments. Maybe you're hard at work on the next Uber, Airbnb or GitHub. Well, why not use the same simple payment solution that helped these companies become what they are today? Braintree makes mobile payments so fast, easy, and seamless. It's almost magical. You can add it to your app with just a few lines of code and you're instantly ready to accept Apple Pay, Android Pay, PayPal, Venmo, credit cards, even Bitcoin. And if some other way to pay comes along, you can bet that Braintree will support that too. Braintree's fast payouts and continuous support means that you're going to be ready whether you're earning your first dollar or your billionth. See fewer abandoned carts and more sales with Braintree's best-in-class mobile checkout experience. To find out more for yourself and to check it out today, go to braintreepayments.com connected. Once again, that's braintreepayments.com connected. Thank you so much to Braintree for their support of this show and Relay. F, M. Do you like that? I'm it's slowing it down. Very dramatic. Mm-hmm. Safari technology preview.
2: See now I don't know when you're done. If you're just going to say another <laughs> word or it's just going to be silent. <laughs> preview. Yeah,
0: yeah so, wait, I'm done now. So,
2: okay, so if this was last week, um, Apple released. Uh, it's a, a sort of a separate build of Safari called Safari Technology Preview that sort of supersets the old WebKit nightlies, and I think they were still around, but um, this is a uh, sort of an easy way to think about It's a beta version of Safari. You can run it alongside normal Safari. It's signed, so you get all your iCloud stuff in it, which is nice, and it's uh, sort of a glimpse at where Safari is going, and as Syracuse pointed out on ATP, the best part of it is that the icon's purple instead of blue. Um and I've been I've been running it, and I had a, a couple of thoughts. I switched to Chrome full time about a year and a half ago. Um, for you know, Safari was problematic under the last version of OS X uh, for a lot of users, including me. And I really was in a situation where I needed multiple browser profiles. Where in Chrome, you can set up sort of different users within Chrome. You have different bookmarks, different history, different plugins, that sort of thing. So I had a personal one and a work one. I still have the need for that today, especially with the YouTube stuff. I, I learned from Gray just to have that have, have be a completely different world. So I have a YouTube like a manager Chrome profile, and I only go in there and I'm uploading a video, and that's it. It's only then I get out of it. But um, but overall, I've been sort of less happy with Chrome over time, in the sense that it more and more feels like it is a um, sort of a mini operating system unto itself. It doesn't feel very native. On the Mac, it doesn't have all the uh, OS ten sharing stuff that, that Safari has, um, and so I, tried, I decided with this technology preview to give Safari another shot. And instantly, it is great to have your history and your open tabs and your, especially your bookmarks, synced across your iOS devices. I really like that, but um, you know, Safari is still problematic in some ways. And even though this technology preview. Like it feels faster than Safari side by side. It feels much more stable. Um, it uh, you know it still has a lot of the weirdness that Safari has, right? Where sometimes things don't work in Safari, but will, will work in Chrome. I Actually, ran into that just last night looking at at someone's website where there was a sign up form that just straight up didn't work in Safari. And I had to go to Chrome. But um... perfect. Uh, yeah, so, okay. I emailed. Him. I was like, hey, you know your thing is broken in like the browser that most people you know that's the, the default browser. <laughs> Just FYI, maybe you want to look at that. <laughs> um, and it still has the the most um, asinine design decision ever made by the company of centering things in the Safari toolbar. Like, why, am I, why do my bookmarks have to be centered? Why do I have to fight to keep my address bar, you know, the location bar centered when uh, plugins get updated and everything moves around? Like, it's the most frustrating thing I've ever used on the computer. But all that aside... Um, what i want to talk about a little bit was like why apple's doing this now and and why all of a sudden does it feel like that they are paying attention to safari where you know in the past it's always been locked to os releases right you wouldn't get a safari update until the new version of os 10 came out now apple to be fair in that comment has been good most of the time where if you were on, you know, Lion and Mountain Lion comes out. Mountain Lion comes the new version of Safari. The Lion gets that version too, right? They, so they sort of lump in old users with the new version of Safari. Um, but of course, there's a limit to that backward compatibility, and it, it just feels like all of a sudden Apple's realizing that Safari is is an important part of their platform, and and they're doing this. And again, it's out in the open, which is fun. Um, but I know, like I, I know, Mike, you use Chrome full time, right? Even on iOS. Yeah, I still do, yeah. Still do. Um, So, like, do, why Like, why have you stopped uh, using or
0: looking at Safari? I switched away from Safari to Chrome because Google Docs wasn't working in Safari. Yep. So that was why I moved away. And then since, so then I moved to Chrome on my iOS devices because I wanted to have tabs and history data syncing everywhere. Mm-hmm. And since then, it's just like this just makes sense for me in so many ways. Using Chrome as my browser gives me additional benefits in the Google ecosystem. Like the Google Apps and Google Now stuff, if I ever use that and when I do use that, it knows my browsing history. So it recommends stories and things like that to me. You know, we spoke about these things in the past. That's all really good. But primarily now, all of my history, my browsing history, is in Chrome. I never have any problems with it so why would I move back like I can't think of anything that safari could give me that chrome doesn't give me um considering I'm not freaking out about google privacy stuff because you know we we I don't need we don't need to retread that ground um so why would I move back like for me I don't see the point of it like I like the fact that I can really easily call up my tabs from any of my devices and I mean I know you can do that stuff on in Safari and you know but it's just like why do I why would I switch back right like I'm mm-hmm. I'm all in on Chrome it works really good for me I never have any problems I can mm-hmm. view anything I need to view um on my Mac I don't have to have flash installed because I use Chrome right like there are all these good things that I like about it it works really well for me uh I'm I'm just going to stick with it
1: I think it's a lot easier these days to use Chrome as your main browser on iOS, especially if you don't use Apple apps like uh, Mail and Messages. Uh, So, you know, those apps cannot open uh, a link in Google Chrome. They just go to Safari.
0: i tell you, one of the things that made this really so much better for me was peek and pop. Yeah. I don't need to open the windows anymore to view something that somebody sends me in a link. So it's not an issue. I just view it and then just let it go. And I never open Safari.
1: Yeah. A lot of third-party apps like Tweetbot and Slack which we use all the time, they support Chrome directly and Chrome has uh offered the feature to go back to the previous app for like several years now. There's like a back button in the in the top left. Yep. So it's a, it's a lot easier, uh, especially if you don't rely on mail ma- messages and I guess web links from Siri, but come on, who uses those? Um it's a lot easier these days to use Chrome on iOS. And I and I personally went uh back and forth between Chrome and Safari a couple of years ago. Uh I've been using Safari for the past uh, two years on my iOS devices. I'm a really happy Safari user. Uh but I, I understand why why you prefer Chrome, especially for uh, you know, the Google Now stuff, voice search, which is a lot faster than, you know, using Siri or Safari. Uh I think it makes sense to, you know, if you're a Google customer. If you're deep into the Google ecosystem, it's now possible to sort of use it as your primary browser on iOS. The Safari web preview, uh, technology preview on iOS on 10 is interesting to me uh, for two reasons. One is uh, Apple is slowly but surely opening up more and more to uh, external testing. So we've seen this with OS 10 before, then iOS, WatchOS, you know, the public betas, and now even the s- the single app is having a technology preview so it it seems to me a symptom of Apple uh, trying to gather as much uh, you know input from from users as possible and that's a good thing I feel the second is sort of a, of a veiled response to the criticism that they got about Safari for the past year, maybe, um, about, you know, Apple uh, being, you know, sort of behind in terms of web technologies that are supporting Safari. And you can see this uh, in... uh in the features that are available in the Safari Technology Preview, there were a couple of articles a couple of months back about, uh, you know, the problems with Safari compared to other browsers like Chrome and, and Firefox. And it seems that Apple is addressing those issues and trying to make it easier for web developers to to build and debug, you know, complex web apps uh, using Safari. So it, I I feel like it's a, it's a sort of two reasons, two, at least two main reasons. More testing, being more open to to developer community, and also trying to show how Apple is thinking about the state of web technologies on Safari. So that's a big thumbs up for me.
2: Yeah, I think, I think the reason that Apple has sort of had this newfound spotlight on Safari is exactly what Mike's talking about, that Chrome is... Uh, really good and there there is a battery life problem on the mac that is pretty atrocious actually but as a browser you know, mike you're on an imax so I'm always plugged in so who cares exactly it doesn't bother me <laughs> i was just about to say that yeah you just see your power meter like uh, spinning faster and faster when you're using it but um other than that and that, that that's an issue and they should address it uh, it is a really good browser, and it's one that um, that I like. And there are things in it that I miss, and I have not ruled out going back to it. But you know, I think I think so much of Apple's strategy right now is multi-device, right? So you have things like Handoff and AirDrop that are designed to go from uh, working on an iOS device to a Mac uh, as seamless as possible. You have iCloud, you know, stitching all this stuff together, and Safari is a big part of that, and in a world where you can't change your default browser uh it's important that the that the default one is good and um and so i'm you know i'm cautiously optimistic that this means improvements are coming to safari you know with google doing their own thing in chrome you know they they uh, are moving away from the same branch of webkit that apple uses uh, there's going to be some more change coming in the browser market and i think it's imperative that apple that any platform owner has a really good browser. You see Microsoft trying it right now with Edge, and uh, I don't think they're succeeding quite yet. But um, the platform browser is an important thing. So I think it's good that Apple is doing it. Um, I think the timing is interesting, being kind of before uh, WWDC. It kind of feels like this maybe is leading to something, but uh, but who knows? Um, but uh, all in
0: all, I'm, I'm glad it's around. So, do you think that they might um, consider doing something like this on iOS, maybe using Test Flight? At some point? Yeah, I mean maybe. Or maybe it, it becomes um you know, like there's
2: like a Safari beta program, right? And and maybe it's 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 similar to the iOS
0: public beta. Yeah, like you install some sort of profile and then it gives you a special version of Safari. Maybe.
2: I mean there are definitely things in the Safari uh technology preview that don't exist elsewhere yet
0: and that's why i thought of it right yeah. like in theory it'd be good to test this stuff everywhere especially right. with what it looks like they may be trying to do is to get a bit of a larger data set because you know you're going to get people that download this and use it that don't actually need it like you probably don't really need any of these things
1: right right the thing about uh having a, the same beta on ios is you would you would have to to build some sort of default browser setting because on the Mac, you can say Safari is my main browser, but just I want to use Technology Preview side by side. Yeah, well, let's hope that this is the start of that process. <laughs> on iOS, <laughs> you would you would have to to go into some kind of setting screen and say Safari is my main browser. So all the links from messages and mail and other apps, uh, open those in Safari. Imagine but just let me test Technology Preview on iOS.
0: Right. You know, one can dream. Yes, mm-hmm. we
1: can. We, we can dream, Mike. Talking about S- dreams. Oh, yeah. hopes,
0: dreams, aspirations. S-
1: Stephen, hold me. I'm I scared. have
0: a uh, special secret topic which I have held from my co-hosts today. <sighs> yes, um, I I've written down what I believe it to be. Okay, so we'll we we I'm don't correct. even know what it is. No, we you don't have know. no idea. Stephen's made a prediction, and in like pure mind reader, like magician fashion, he's written it down on a piece of paper and folded it up. Okay, and then we'll put a picture of that in the show notes so you can je- so you can guess his guess. So I went to the Apple store today and bought the USB connector. Okay. And a 128 gigabyte 9.7 inch gold iPad Pro of LTE and a smart keyboard.
1: Wait, what? 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 Which iPad Pro? 9.7
0: inch. You bought it? Mm -hmm. Why? You
1: already have an iPad Pro.
0: I know I do, yeah. He's been, he's been he's CGP'd is what's happened what? this Gray is, got this is partly it alright so on Cortex and Upgrade this week have been talking a lot about the iPad Pro the small one and it was in my conversation with Gray and stuff that we've been talking about a lot over the last couple of months that's been making me think about trying this out um, so something that Gray talks about and I talk about with him a bunch is the idea of multiple screens and this world where like you wouldn't use one iPad for everything. You might have like multiple iPads, right? That you use for different tasks and you kind of use these screens like they are pieces of paper. And I think that that concept is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but one that the thing, do you know the thing that's actually caught me the most, which I think is so funny, is exactly the thing that I was laughing about with you before the iPad Pro came out. Remember the uh, big iPad and small iPad that I thought you were going to have? That's what did this to me. So what I was thinking about is, for many years, I've had two Macs. I've had a desktop Mac and a laptop. Like That's how I've worked for many years. So I have the big one for home and the small one for moving around. So I want to try that out a little bit more to have... The big iPad, which I mainly use at home and for big work stuff. And then the smaller iPad that I can use on the go, but also for different things like reading, um, checking Twitter and stuff like that in the morning and in the evening, like the work that I do at the start and the end of each day, which is a lot lighter and is mainly about consuming stuff. Um, I think I find reading on the big iPad fine, but it is really big and maybe bigger than I need. Um, so I wanted to see what it was like to use the smaller one. It's why I've also got LTE in this iPad, which is the first time I've ever done that, um, Mm. because I want to have this one on the go and on the move a little bit more. Uh, And I also bought a keyboard with it because I think that, for me, that's part of the whole package. Uh, So, yeah, this is what I did today. Now, I am not set on keeping this, um, but I have it right now.
1: Okay, Mike. Hmm. So I, I have many thoughts here. I wasn't expecting this to be the surprise topic. I thought you bought the Amazon Echo, honestly. Oh, that's that's, even, that's what
0: I wrote down. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, on the Echo, I will get one, but I'm waiting until they launch internationally.
1: Okay. So, Michael, mm-hmm. help me understand here. Yeah. So you want to use this iPad Pro as a more portable iPad Pro. Yes. So I assume it's going to be dedicated to reading, reading, uh, catching up on articles on Twitter, whereas the bigger iPad Pro goes for multitasking, you know, documents, uh, that type of stuff that requires a big screen. Yeah, so let's
0: say, for example, uh, invoicing. Uh, I send out invoices on a Friday. To do that, I use a combination of the FreshBooks app, Google Sheets, Chrome, and Safari. So I typically have Chrome and Safari side by side to check in our system and send out the invoices and do that sort of stuff. I wouldn't want to do that on the smaller iPad because I love the the basically two portrait apps side by side and multitasking on the uh, 9.7 is cramped but it's usable but it's cramped but it would be really good for me to read something and take notes in in the Apple Notes app right so like the very simple work that I do but I do also do more complex work that I like to have the big screen for so I'm trying to work out if there is like a balance that can be struck between these devices, in the same way that I used to do things on the Big Mac, or like on Big Mac, on the Mac Pro, or on the iMac, <laughs> or on my Mac Mini, and then I would use my MacBook Pro in other scenarios to do other types of work. Okay. I also envision a time where, seriously, where I would use both of them at the same time to to do some tasks. So, like talking about the invoicing. Something that I have to do is you know we were joking about this last week, people got upset about using three apps at the same time, right? Yeah. Yes, I could now do that more easily. I could have the small iPad at the side and have that have Google sheets open and then use the larger iPad for the like looking at the invoices and sending the invoices out. I actually quite like that as an idea, as a thing that I could do, is to have both iPads going at the same time and using them that way. People might think this sounds crazy, but like, think of the iPads as screens rather than devices, and I think it becomes a little bit better to understand. So many people use multiple screens in their offices, right? It's that, really. But it's like if you think about, if you're able to take yourself out of the idea of you can't do work on the iPad and think about, maybe imagine a world where you could do work on the iPad like me and Federico do and then try and take the work that you currently do and set up and arrangement that you have and move that to those devices and I hope that it can start to make a little bit more sense for people because this is the thing that I'm going through a lot more is some of the things that I feel like I'm missing from moving from the Mac to the iPad I can actually replicate by thinking of the iPads more as screens as opposed to these discrete devices.
1: Mm-hmm. So what I want to know, Mike, is the next time you're going to travel, so let's say you go to WWDC, which iPad are you going to bring with you? See, in theory, I would be bringing the smaller one with me.
0: That's, that's Why the Why in theory? Why in well, theory? So let's say this WWDC, I will still be bringing my MacBook too because I will need to edit shows.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So in that scenario, I would just bring the smaller one with me because it's mobile and it's less weight and it's easier to carry. In the far-flung future, if I'm maybe going to work somewhere for the day, I would take the small iPad, but if I'm going away for two weeks, I would take the big iPad, and that would be the only device that I would have. I actually think that that will be within like a year or something that I'll finally be able to transition a lot more of the editing stuff over to the iPad, but we can talk about that over the next few months, I think.
1: Do you imagine you would have to make adjustments to your desk, to your setup for multiple iPads? like from a physical standpoint i'm trying to imagine yeah, how you're going to juggle two ipads
0: i will not right now cuz i'm going to hopefully be changing this desk soonish but i think that there is a, a world... And, and somebody sent me a link to a product which i haven't checked out yet um but i'm planning on doing so uh it's like this kind of it's called the easel Now, i'm i'm, I'm not going to oh
1: i have an easel you have it <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, I just From received it Design?
0: Yes. They have sent me a link and I haven't gotten back to them yet. But this is the type of product that I would assume that would make this easier. And that's yeah. why they emailed us, because they've heard the conversations of me and Gray thinking about using these devices. And you could put two iPads on one of these things. Yeah. Um. So this is the type of thing that I assume would make this type of stuff easier for me in the future. I, I really do see this becoming something that would work for me, this idea of using these multiple devices, but I need to I need to think about it. Um, the story so far in the chat room asked me, I think th- it, they say it's serious. It does sound a bit funny, but do you think that you would start mounting iPads? Uh, when me and Edina get our own place, I'm going to put one, my old Air 2, I'm going to mount it in the kitchen because I think that that's a really good use for an old iPad. Yeah, to fix it to something in the kitchen. Um, mm-hmm. So I we are going to do that. That's why I'm keeping this around. I haven't sold it yet because I want to keep it for that reason. Okay. But, iPad Butler. Yeah. I know that this is a, on the face of it, a very crazy idea, but I encourage people to just try and take the iOS out of the equation and think of the screens. That That's the way that I think this works.
1: <laughs> From that point of view, it makes sense. And I remember the... The cortex episode where when Gray said it's sort of like Star Trek, you see yep. all of these screens on a desk, yep. and it makes sense from that point of view. I if I'm trying to think, would I ever do something like this myself? Uh The, the first concern would be price, of course, because you know that's quite an expensive oh, setup. Uh, look, I'm not. There's no. There's
0: no way to tiptoe around this. Like I just spent a thousand pounds today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that is ridiculous like i am fully aware of that fact um and you know there's nothing i can do about it that's what it cost me but (laughs) i don't know i haven't got anything to say about that that's the truth that's what happened today
1: Mm -hmm. the other concern that i have is that maybe it would be annoying to Manage the same apps on two devices, like update all the apps. Yeah, I know there's iCloud sync and other types of sync these days, but it's just you know the the overhead of managing two setups at the same time. It's already quite annoying to keep all of my apps. I wonder. I'm I'm thinking
0: about this. So, on this week's Cortex, which you probably haven't heard yet, Gray talks about this, and he effectively the way that he deals with it, which I don't know if I would, but I'll see is he treats the devices purely on the things that they do, so they don't have the same apps on them. Mm. Because he has the iPad that he writes on, all it has is writing apps. Right? So that that's the mm. way that he deals with that. I don't know if I will work that way, but yeah, that is something. Uh, and I considered doing something I've never done before, which is to turn on automatic app downloading on my iPads. Mm. I've never yeah. used that feature before because yeah, it feels frustrating neither. to me. Yeah. But... If I could just turn it on on those two devices, I'm more likely to want them to be in sync app-wise than I have ever
1: wanted to have that feature before. These are strange times, Mike. Because yeah, they are. In it, when you said it, I'm like, okay, Mike is crazy. But I, I hashtag I, Mike I, is crazy. I, <laughs> I do see the point. You know, uh, set aside the problem with you know the fact that it's expensive and managing apps. But it does sort of make sense to have multiple screens. But what about, let me ask you, what if Apple comes out with a 15-inch iPad Pro? I know that it sounds crazy. What if they come no, out I don't with think this it's crazy. really large iPad Pro that lets you use three to four apps at the same time? Would you reconsider?
0: Well, in that regard, I would replace the 12-inch with that one. Because mm. if I work this way, like if if I end up achieving what I am attempting to set out to do here, that iPad could be 25 inches because it's not going to leave the home very mm. often. Okay. right? Like that's the theory here that I'm trying to get to is that if I do this the way that I expect, my 12 inch iPad Pro will not leave the house very often if at all. And I will be able to use the smaller iPad Pro for the, for all of my travel needs. Like that's that's the theory and that
1: I'm trying to test out here. So what's what's next? You're gonna try to see if this works out.
0: Yeah, I don't really know how it's gonna go, and I don't really know how I'm gonna use it. Uh, you know, I did a deal with Adina on this in that I will see, I will try and heavily use this system over the next two weeks and decide if I will return the iPad Pro, just the, the baby Pro. A quick point on that. Uh, first time I heard the term Baby Pro was Serenity mentioned it on Upgrade last week. I'm so on board with that notion because mm. this thing does feel mm. like a baby version of the iPad Pro. It's very <laughs> peculiar because everything's smaller, right? And I know that sounds so stupid, but everything is smaller. So the keyboard, right? Everything's just tiny. You know, it's like, mm. oh, tiny little keys. Um, I'll get back to the keyboard in a moment, but... Yeah, I, I, that's the theory of where I'm going to try and take this is to see if it, I can just make it feel like it's just the small iPad Pro and go from there. So let me talk about some of my feelings of having the device for only a couple of hours. Okay. Setting up a new device <laughs> fixed in portrait orientation is in, is insanity. Mm-hmm. So these iPads still uh, can only be set up in portrait. So like I set it up, I put the keyboard on, turned it on, and it was like you can't you can't do this, you crazy person, turn it the other way around, okay uh, the smaller software keyboard feels weird after using the big software keyboard um like not having all of the numbers ease being very easily accessible is annoying, but one of the funny things is typing on those keys because they're larger and kind of closer together is actually quite nice to type on after using the big one. I think that they had their merits, both of them in all honesty the soft the large key, large software keyboard on the twelve inch iPad has everything all there. Um, but the smaller one, the, the key, layout, key layout is actually, I think, a little bit more comfortable for me. Um, and having the split keyboard, again, is a big deal for me. Um, I've missed that thing. Uh, but the majority of my typing will be with the keyboard cover. Um, and for someone who doesn't touch type, the the size of the keys is, is not really a problem uh, because I tend to be looking anyway. And I adjusted to it very quickly when just typing out even just things like passwords today but I really don't like the tab key on this keyboard. It's like it barely exists. It's so small. Um, And if you use iOS with a keyboard now, the tab key is becoming increasingly important. Uh, And so it's a shame that it's so ridiculously tiny on this keyboard. But I do like that I have the keyboard on this thing and because I do really like the smart keyboard on my big iPad. So I think it works here too. Uh, True tone makes a massive difference. Um, even in daylight, like it really does make changes to the way the screen looks and you can turn it on and off when you're setting it up. Like so you can just hold the hold, like turn off and it just instantly turns it off to show you how the screen looks. And it is like an extension to Night Shift in that way. It's I, I'm feeling like I'm going to be enjoying this a lot and then really missing it when I use the other iPad because I was like holding my iPhone and the uh, the Baby Pro next to each other and I could really see a difference in the way that the color was being produced in the whites. So they're, they're my fee- they're my feelings so far.
1: Mm. Yeah, this is all kind of strange right Crazy, now. right?
0: I told you, it's it, a big surprise. I'm pleased that you, neither of you guessed it, though.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, it's, honestly, it's, you're going full CGP. I wasn't expecting that. It's basically just been, like,
0: I recorded with Gray on Saturday, I recorded with Jason on Monday, and it's just been something I haven't been able to get out of my head. Mhm, and then the money came through from the upgrade T-shirts. There <laughs> I it is. Was like, <laughs> okay, off we go to the app store. Thank you, everyone that bought upgrade I, merchandise. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've had the thought about you know having a mini
2: um, for in bed reading because the 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 twelve point nine inch is just unusable if you're laying down, but um. You know, I see what you're saying about having the right tool for the job, and that's really what this boils down to like no doubt there are people who are already writing emails to us saying that you know this is ridiculous, just use a mac and and I would tell you to stop writing that email but because what this is really about is having the tools that you need to get your job done, and just because yeah. it's it's not what someone else would do or they quote can't understand it unquote mm-hmm. like who I cares? will reply
0: to everybody uh verbally who's writing those emails and tell them to switch to windows. Because it's effectively, you're asking me to do that. It's the same thing to me. Yeah, I know that's that probably going to upset all those people even more. But what are you going to do?
2: I mean, Windows Ten
1: it's nice. It's interesting to me that you're now sort of in the in the position that I was about a year ago.
0: Oh, uh, I am you now, man. Like, but in some <laughs> ways, I've now taken it in a completely new, creative direction. Uh, no,
1: but you know, also the struggle to deal with people sending uh, you comments.
0: Yeah, I. It's, it's, sympathize now why well, I, I now i sympathize because it's happening to me.
1: <laughs> yes yeah it's um you know I, I don't know if i would ever do something like this but it it sounds crazy at first it's not so crazy when you imagine it as you know multiple displays uh multiple screens uh it does make some sense to me right now I just wonder, is there going to be a day, maybe like a year from now, where all of your recording and editing is done on two iPads, you know? Just because you have these two devices, these two iPad Pros, and you can do the recording, you can do the editing, and you don't need a Mac anymore, which would be crazy for you, you know? Just because I sort of identify you and Steven as the type of users who need Macs and will always need, you know, a desktop computer... But it's just you know the, the possibility is intriguing. If you ask me,
0: I feel I feel like I'm going to be using a Mac for recording and editing for a long time, uh, even after iOS gains the ability to do exactly what, like let's say iOS gains the exact abilities that I need, right? Um, Mm -hmm. To to do everything that I currently do on my Mac recording and editing wise, I still don't think that I would move immediately like what it would give me is the ability to do all of that stuff on the road a lot easier. And I could be in different places and record in different places. But my workflows are really built in on that. And I'm I'm not interested in changing them completely. Uh, But I... Definitely see a time in the future where I am doing all of my work on iOS, but I don't think it would be immediately from when those features are available, if that makes sense. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I
0: think you were the same on that as well, Federico. Like you transitioned things away from the Mac over time, even when the iOS devices could do the things that you needed them to do, right?
1: Well, I do know that if it was possible to record on the iPad, and if you would allow me to do so, uh, I would ditch my Mac. Like, I wouldn't think twice about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, now I totally get that. But, you know, you were doing things on, like, a Mac mini server and stuff for a longer period of time. Um, and, you know, you would, I guess you were doing some other things on, Mac, on the Mac and then as features... We're, coming over you are slowly moving away but yeah, i i see at this point uh if if uh, i with ios 10 something happens and you can record on ios like i just feel like now it's just a given that you would do that
1: yeah i'm i'm really interested to see to see how this goes both in terms of your actual workflow and in terms of how people respond to to this topic <laughs> oh yeah i can't wait i want to i want to see what happens
2: you excuse me i'm going to be changing the uh Feedback email to something other than that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, good luck. All right, let's take our second break, and then we can get into some more planned topics. um, Sounds good. This This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code WORLD at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase with easy to use tools and templates squarespace helps you capture every detail of what drives you because if it's worth the effort it's worth sharing with the world squarespace will allow you to build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level with no coding experience required you'll be giving all of the tools all of the state-of-the-art technology you need to power your website and to make it look and feel exactly how you imagine. Squarespace ensures security and stability. This is something that they're on top of. They're backed up by a 24-7 support team with live chat and email. This is why they're trusted by millions of people around the world and some huge companies as well. Squarespace, all the, the templates that they have there feature responsive design. They look fantastic on all sizes of device and you have WYSIWYG tools, drag and drop and turn things on and off all in the web browser to make it look exactly as you Wish. If you sign up for a year at Squarespace, you'll get yourself a free domain name so you can choose exactly what you want your site to be called, and their plans start at just $8 a month. You can sign up for a free trial today with no credit card required, and start building your own website straight away by going to squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code WORLD at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Connected. Thank you to Squarespace for their continued support of this show and relay FM.
2: So I thought we could revisit the topic of home automation a little bit. And this was really brought on by a couple of news stories that I saw. Um, the first one being uh, a note from Belkin, which make the Wemo product line. They make smart switches, outlets, lights, all sorts of stuff. And, um, and basically saying that uh, HomeKit is not... Really going as well as they thought it would, and that they are putting HomeKit compatibility on hold for now. It was interesting to me, and maybe I just missed this, or maybe because Apple has said basically nothing about HomeKit, no one knew. But HomeKit requires specific hardware, uh, like a hardware controller in the device, and it is impossible if you smell if you sell some sort of (laughs) if you smell. If you sell some sort of smart home device, you can't just have like a firmware update and make it compatible with HomeKit. You have to ha- actually have a, a physical thing. And so you see that in the Hue lights, right? They had regular Hue lights and they updated the bridge. And that bridge contains, I guess, the HomeKit whatever chipset that is that is needed. And I think it's a pretty big deal. You know, WeMo is a big name in this field and they're basically saying that... Um, uh Home Kit is something they're putting on hold until it can work for both new and existing users. so the subtext there is they're they want Apple to change this and be able to have it just in software just in firmware and um I think it goes to the bigger um you know the bigger idea of all this home automation stuff is really a mess still and that it, it's it's really unsolved and um ever quickly, the chat room suggests probably rightfully so that. This is perhaps a security issue that Apple wants to have some sort of trusted device, um, some trusted identifier in all these devices, and and I could totally see that being the case. But um, you know, so I want to check in with you guys. Um, is is HomeKit something that you guys are using, or have,
0: or have you like me replaced it with something else? I have no HomeKit devices, um, and it's you know we we speak about this stuff a lot on the show and it's something that i'm interested in setting up soon you know hopefully not in not too far in the future but this is concerning me because this is kind of a real it's a real kind of example of why the standards and all of the stuff that exists in the home automation space are a bit wonky right now Mm -hmm. Um, And it's concerning because I see it as like another symptom or another issue which ends up with you having to replace all of the home devices that you have with something else because something doesn't work with something or somebody drops support for something and then you're back out buying hundreds of dollars worth of devices again.
2: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. What about you, Federico?
1: I I own... um two different HomeKit devices. So the the first one, which is actually two sensors from Elgato, the humidity sensor and an outside temperature sensor. And then I own uh, the Philips Hue lights with a new bridge with uh, HomeKit support. Uh, but I'll tell you, ever since I bought the Echo, I've never ever used Siri... Or, you know, other HomeKit apps, again, Mm. to control (laughs) my lights. Because it's just so easier and so faster and so much more reliable to ask Alexa to turn on the lights or to... uh, You know, all of these devices, they support uh, their own standards for home automation as well. So you you can connect the Echo to the Wemo, you can connect the Echo to the Hue lights, and... It's just faster for me. And in my experience, either Siri doesn't know what to do or it doesn't understand my commands or it's just slow and for some reason it stops responding. Uh, Let's avoid talking about the Apple Watch because it's crazy slow and I don't even want to bring it up. I guess I did. I'm sorry. Uh, I, uh, you know, I just use the Echo. It's much faster and easier. And uh, again, I'm sort of, Said that this is the case. Uh, yeah, I had big hopes for HomeKit, but if you couple you know, the inconsistencies and the, the technical problems with the strange availability of HomeKit devices in Italy, uh, like I don't know where to look for HomeKit devices. I go to Amazon uh, uh, Italy, and every once in a while there's a new device uh, that supports HomeKit. It's all very fragmented and instead with the echo you know i can just log into my accounts and it just works and maybe that's what i wanted honkit to do um so you know i have these two sensors and i use them but my lights and my my wemo switch with it which is of course Connected to my to my espresso maker, uh, those are the two that I use the most, and it's just nice to be able to say Alexa, turn on the coffee maker. You know, it's just awesome, and it's instant. It's it really works in less than a second, which is damn impressive. So I'm a big uh, Echo fan right now.
2: If Ederica, I'm with you. The Echo has basically replaced Siri uh, for my use, uh, and all I now to be fair, all I have are a set of Hue lights. I don't have anything else, um, really smart home stuff. I do have a Two nest products but as far as things that could work with home all i have uh, are the Hue lights and for me it's just the um the flexibility of it so if i walk in i can just shout at the echo to turn the lights on where uh with the the watch or even the phone you know i gotta i gotta find it i gotta push a button uh and it's, it just seems to be more um more reliable so you know th- the downside of all of this, Mike, like you said, is that you can get in a situation where your stuff stops working or, you know, you have to replace something that you bought six months ago. And that's sort of part of a one-two punch that's been leveled at Nest this week. Um, so the the first bit of this is a product that they, the Nest purchase, uh, called the Revolve, which is a kind of like a smart home hub Uh, It controls lights and they bought this company and they are not only sunsetting the hub, they actually stopped selling it back in 2014, but uh, on May 15th, the service that runs it is going to be, be turned off. And so the hub straight up like won't work. And uh, so they, they are making a deliberate decision to break something um, that people were buying as recently as, you know, October, 2014. And that's problematic for a bunch of reasons, but I think for our conversation today, the it goes to this this idea that this is a very fluid market right now. Just because you bought something doesn't mean that it's going to work forever. Um, but it's, uh, it's a problem in particular with Nest because there's a lot of conversation right now, we have some links in the show notes, uh, that Nest is sort of spiraling out of control. There's been stories about Tony Fidel's um, uh, leadership style and that he's, he's maybe not... Um, completely uh in control of things that are happening at Nest and uh and that you know the company has not had new products right they brought they bought Dropcam and have re-released it as the Nest Cam and I actually have one that I'm kind of playing with right now for a project and um you know it's fine it's 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 nice enough but I have this thought in the back of my mind like what if this goes away you know the Nest Cam uploads all of its stuff to a service and you can go download video and get push notifications All that stuff, but all that requires Nest to still be in business, and even though they're part of Alphabet, like that's no guarantee. I mean, at some point Alphabet is going to stop pouring money into Nest, right? And what happens if my thermostat quits working? And it it, just—I'm very, all of a sudden, very cautious about the Nest products that I have, and I mean to the degree that you know we're kind of thinking about moving, and if we do. I'm not positive I would put the Nest thermostat up in the new house. I really like my Nest thermostat that I have now, but I'm not sold that I would keep it long-term until it's proven that they can do this long-term. And the Revolve thing is problematic. The leadership is problematic. There's a, a, a Reddit thread that we'll have a link to that basically uh, take it with a grain of salt, but someone says they're an engineer at Reddit and like lists all these terrible things that are happening. Or an uh, engineer at Nest, sorry. Um... So I don't know, like it's it's you know, there's this idea that Apple could come in and like unify all this stuff and provide a back end, right? So that that all these various companies, so Philips and Nest and you know, these different companies would not have to provide these services, that, that HomeKit could become the glue between all this stuff, but that just hasn't happened. And in the in the in the wake of that, all of these little like independent systems that kind of don't work together now very well. Uh, are continuing to break down, and what it leads me to think is like is this is not the moment is this is not the time for smart home stuff was do we have some of these products and it's just gonna fizzle away because there's no standard, or is this just part of a natural evolution towards something that will be better uh, i don't I don't know the answer
0: this is why this 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 whole problem is exactly why it would be good for it, this is exactly why it would be good for HomeKit to exist, right? Because if there was a centralized standard that lots of people could use, it would be less concerning that a company shutting down is going to stop your light bulbs from working. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, exactly. It's um, it's a mess, and and I for one, I'm i holding off. Like I'm not going to be going any further into this world until it settles down a yeah. bit.
1: Yeah me neither. I was thinking about should I get more home automation devices but after seeing you know the struggles of HomeKit and the news about the Nest and also coupled that with the fact that I still don't own a house so still paying rent um you know I don't I cannot make major modifications you know I cannot change the, you know the door locks for example uh I'm I think I'm on I'm on hold right now. I got the lights. I got the WeMo switch. I'm probably just gonna buy another uh, WeMo switch just for convenience, but that's about it. I'm not going, you know, with crazy with uh, door locks or more lights or uh, you know the thermostat or you know ceiling fans that kind of stuff. I'm just gonna wait and see and probably by the time that I will buy a house, you know, myself I will I will reconsider. We'll see.
0: <sighs> yeah,
2: it's kind of it's kind of depressing, right? Like, I think we were kind of sold on this idea that if you go get a couple things, your house can be like not only smarter but safer, more efficient, and it feels like that promise has been broken a little bit. So
0: I'm just I'm just kind of down on the whole thing right now. The products honest. are all good and they work, but it's a shame that the the underpinning services are probably the issue, right? That that's that's the worries mm. like. Belkin sets up a service, and Apple sets up a service, and Google sets up a service with Nest, and then Android, there's one, and then it's you know, it just goes round and round and around. And it just concerns me. I would really like there to be just something that is either open or is held by a big enough company that it's all good. Like, let's say that Google decides that they want to create some open standard that everybody can adopt. Like, I would be as happy with that as if Apple did it. I, I just like the idea of there being one company and everybody gets on board of it and we all hope that would be HomeKit, but maybe Apple's taken the eye off the ball of HomeKit a little bit. Um, and, you know, uh, let's hope that that's not the case going forward. So to to close out this week, I want to talk
2: a little bit about the iMac, which maybe feels a little weird after Mike's uh, revelation earlier in the show. But I'm
0: still using my iMac right now. It's, it's using sitting right in right front
2: of me. So- so I need to do it this week before time goes on, it becomes less relevant, is what yeah. you're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we got this email uh, from uh, Bastion, who who to- talks about the the conversation we've had about the Fusion Drive and the hard drive and the iMac, blah, 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 blah. Anyways, this is what he says. Um, if the iMac could go all SSD, and basically if Skylake and the new integra- integrated graphics that would come with that, uh, would that allow Apple to reduce the bezels and get rid of the hump and the chin on the iMac? I would love to see a 24-inch screen size in the dimensions of the 21-inch iMac. So the, the idea that if, if you look at the front of an iMac, there's still, I mean, you've got one in front of your mic, like the bezels are at least as wide as your thumb around the mm-hmm. screen. And there's a chin, and of course, it's really thin at the edges. And, and that keynote is so hilarious to me that like, so was like, look, it's so thin. And then he turns and it's like, well, it's the same thickness in the back. It just is sort of all kind of lumped together. It's kinda of lumpy in the back. And at the time, listeners remember that I was quite upset that like who cares how thin the iMac is? When if you get rid of the Ram door, like if that's your trade off, then you've made the wrong trade off, right? It's a desktop computer, like who cares? Uh thickness is not an issue on the desktop, weight's not an issue on the desktop. Um but I do think that this is an interesting point that you know the iMac form factor has been the same for a long for a long time. Really, before Retina they've they've had this thin at the edges design. And could Skylake could something else change that? And and so Mike, you're the only one of us that, that owns an iMac as much as I want one. Uh, um well you're the only one who has a modern iMac. I have lots of old ones. Um but you've run an iMac, you use it to, to do your work on and does like Do you think about this? Like, Does
0: it bother you? Uh, are there things that bother you about the current iMac design that you would like changed? Talking about the form factor, it's quite funny. The, the iMac has looked like this, just made out of different materials, since I bought my first iMac in 2005, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like a foot with a chin and a bezel. You know, like I had the white plastic first Intel one.
2: It's been the same since before then even, like the iMac G5 in like 2003.
0: Yeah, exactly. So... You know, but it's a good-looking machine. But you know, I I agree, right? With Bastion. of course, I would love this thing to just be the screen, because that would be awesome, right? Like if you're gonna do stuff like make it super thin, and then you're gonna, as you say, which really upsets you, seal the RAM into it, you may as well just take it to its logical conclusion. Um, otherwise make the thing more expandable again. Like I would like to see that happen. I mean obviously they can't do that, which is why they haven't done that because it would be awesome if they did that if it was just looked like the ret- like the Thunderbolt displays that would be awesome. And I think we're going to get there one day. I think that's probably the next design for the iMac. They'll just keep doing this until they can get rid of all of the outside of it. Um they'll just keep it looking as it is because it's a real kind of unassuming design. It's it looks fine as it is. Um, in regards to my iMac in general, the things that I would love to see change about it is I would love there to be more IO and I would love for it to be easier to access. I know why it is what it is, but trying to plug a USB, uh, cable into the back of my iMac, it's just scratch, 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 scratch. Oh, there it is. (laughs) And the, the feeling of scratching a USB cable against anodized aluminum makes me want to jump out my window. It's not good at all. I hate it so much. It's like oh I just yeah I can't I can't deal with it. Um you know and and I like most people I'm sure that use a desktop Mac I have a USB hub because there's just not enough USB cables. Mm-hmm. like connectors there's just there's just not enough. Um I I know that putting them on the front is real ugly. Uh but it was really it was a lot easier It would be, I think, a lot easier if these things were on the side or on the bottom, but that would mean it would have to be thicker again, which is never going to happen. It would maybe be nice if there was some way to put them in the foot. I don't know. Who knows? But I would love to see something a little bit different about the way that the IO is put in there. Um, Aside from that, the machine itself, performance-wise, I have no complaints. I can't do anything to this Mac to make it feel like it's going slowly. Like it just deals with everything except one thing, which is gaming. I would like the Mac to be get better at gaming, and I'm looking at Oculus, right? Mm. I bought this Mac I think cost like three grand and it's still not powerful enough to run an Oculus Rift. It's a great discussion about this on ATP. Uh you know, I want to be able to plug a VR headset into this Mac. It is the only computer that I own, desktop-wise. It's as powerful as I could make it, but it's still not enough. Um, and that's, I think, my biggest complaint, along with many other people right now, uh, about my iMac, is that there's nothing I can do to make it powerful enough to run an Oculus Rift. And right. I can buy an Oculus Rift machine for half of the price um, that it cost me to buy this Mac. And I know that there's many other things that I'm buying and I'm happy that I bought them, and given the choice, I would still go with the iMac, mm-hmm. but it would be really nice if it could have the graphics processors needed to run on Oculus.
2: Yeah, and I think that's one of those trade-offs they make with that design, right? That um, with the way they put the iMac together, there's just not room for a graphics card to to drive that sort of thing. And... It's just not a priority right like that's the bigger thing right the design is what it is because it was not a priority and you know for a long time the iMacs were basically notebooks with sort of rearranged notebook parts that's uh, less true now than it than it used to be but um no doubt that that there are things about that machine that are decisions made by Apple that it just is what it is right and mm-hmm. i think uh, i think part of it is is honestly that the iMac has a very widespread so you can buy that that um 21 inch you know non-retina machine with a, a slow cruddy laptop hard drive in it and actually set one up for somebody it's not good or you can go buy what you bought right a loaded 27 inch retina monster that you can do final cut and logic on and do all this stuff and it, it never break a sweat the gamut for the iMac is just so big now that um the the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro have been really pushed to the edges, and that that wasn't true when they introduced the iMac. You know, the, the four that I have in my trunk, they were consumer machines, and if you needed more power, then you went and bought a Power Mac. And today, the that 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 two by two Gorilla, of course, is gone, and the iMac is both a consumer machine and a professional machine, and the Mac Pro has become marginalized to people who either need just crazy GPU. Power, uh, or they need the Xeons, and for everyone else, the iMac is is plenty of machine. And you know, Mike, somebody. I mean, if, well, when we started, we bought a Mac Pro for you, and it ended up being a poor choice because, uh, well, the machine was had hardware issues, but also it, like, you just didn't need it. Like, it was overkill. The iMac is a better fit for you, and the mm-hmm. uh, same for me doing audio and video stuff. Like, I don't need an iMac. You know, ten years ago, I would have needed a Power Mac, but today the iMac just just can do so much um but even even today like you said they they leave things on the table they leave gaming on the table they leave uh, expansion on the table they they leave um the ability to upgrade it later on the table you know the uh, until this new design you could put ram in all of them now you have to have the 27 so i, I just i don't know like i don't know what who the iMac is for anymore because it's for everybody and I think it's it's not as laser focused as it once was. This is a consumer machine and and that's fine, but I think I think Apple needs to give people options and, and the answer is if you want a gaming machine, buy a Mac Pro. But the Mac Pro is three years old and uh has not aged well. And I would say it's almost to the point where it was before this one showed up of being sort of humorous that it's still for sale. And that no one should seriously consider it because it's so outdated. And you know what? If Apple wants to have a machine that can run an Oculus, it should be the Mac Pro, and it should be updated on a regular basis. And it shouldn't, you know, burn to the ground because it has two GPUs in it. it they've they've got to fix that. And um, so the, I thought it was a fascinating little mini topic of of what the iMac could do, um, not only from a design perspective, but from a sort of performance and like where it fits in type thing. So. I mean, um, or
0: just buy 12 iPads and just glue them together and you. I mean, you could
2: go. do that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who would. Um, I might at some point. You might. Uh, or you could be Federico and just leave all this behind. and uh, <laughs> Live in a brighter, happier future. Yep. And just use a MacBook Air held together with tape when you need it. So,
1: Or just use a PlayStation, you know.
0: Yep. <laughs> just before we wrap up today, I wanted to provide uh, a little bit of follow-up on my iPad, which I for- forgot to mention earlier. Uh, I wanted to just talk about gold <laughs> for a moment. Gold? Because <laughs> I bought a gold one.
1: Uh-huh. I yeah. have a gold iPhone.
0: Yeah, I know. So this is part of it. One, I'm thinking about gu- buying a gold iPhone, so I wanted to see what it was like to have a gold iOS device. Um, I do actually really like the gold color. I was tempted by rose gold because I keep seeing the rose gold SE everywhere. And like, I think it's tricking my brain into thinking that's the color I want, but I decided not to do that. I have a
2: story about that real quick. Okay. So, Mary's six S, which she just traded for an SE is rose gold. So I was looking at it last night and for a second, I thought maybe I put my SIM in this for a couple of weeks. and like, like reacquaint myself with this size. And, and for me, like the rose gold just isn't my first choice. Um, But it is funny, like, I definitely have thought about it and still may do it, but uh, it's just nice to have options. Anyways, you bought a gold iPad.
0: Yeah, so there's two reasons why, aside from that, you know, the the idea that I just wanted to see what the gold was like. One, I wanted to, I know that these devices are vastly different in size, but I just wanted a visual cue to know which one is which. So I have a white and gold (laughs) one and I have a black and gray one. Like, I just wanted there to be a visual cue of easily distincting just by out of the corner of my eye which iPad is which. Um, The other is the gold doesn't matter because I'm going to cover it in stickers if I keep it. So, (laughs) hey-ho. If you think it's crazy that I have gold, just assume that it won't be gold forever.
2: The only way you can tell is the ring around the Touch ID sensor. And I love that being a different color. Yeah, that looks nice. That, that looks nice. the that looks nice in gold and rose gold. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, I might go I, uh, rose
0: gold at the iPhone because I'll put a case on it always. So I might go rose gold.
2: I'm just upset that you can buy many colors of smart cover, and I'm st- you know the rest of us with the 12.9 are stuck with gray.
0: Didn't buy a smart cover because they're keyboard. ludicrously priced, and I have the keyboard mm-hmm. cover, like fifty pounds or fifty dollars or whatever. And you can't use the old ones because they've changed the magnet polarity, which is... A Boy, thing. you got to have a good reason for that, Apple. Otherwise, you're just being mean. Yep. So magnets work right. differently now. So there you go. All right, that wraps it up. If you want to find the show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 85. If you would like to find Federico online, he's over at maxstories.net. Steven is at 512pixels.net. They are both on Twitter. Steven is at ISMH. Federico is at Faticci, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you to Squarespace and Braintree for sponsoring this week's episode, but most of all, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, gentlemen. Arrivederci. Adios.